0: Welcome to the Cannabis Enlightened podcast with Dr. Leroy, brought to you by March & Ash at marchandash.com. I'm Chris Cantori, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to your host, Dr. Leroy.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cannabis Enlightened with Dr. Leroy. And we are extremely fortunate today to have an authority with us to talk about cannabis, cannabis from the standpoint of entrepreneurship. Uh, Christy Lee Kelly has been in the cannabis space for uh, several years and has had um, many successes and maybe not so much success. But uh, she's going to talk with us today about her background and her journey in cannabis and pretty much bring us up to speed with where she is right now. So without any further ado, uh, Christy, you wanna come in and introduce yourself?
2: Hello, everybody. My name is Christy Kelly, and I'm happy to be here today. I think it's really, really right, the way that you set up this uh, that intro, Dr. Leroy, because you said, as an entrepreneur, there have been successes and there've also been some times where there were not successes. And that's the journey of entrepreneurship. (laughs) It's, it's a, it's a lesson in, um, humility as much as it is, as it is a lesson in how to channel the most aspirational and, um, Functional aspects of your personality and build teams around you that that are doing the same, so that you can work towards common goals. So it is a thousand percent right to think about entrepreneurship both as the journey, um, the stops and the starts, as well as the ultimate goal that you are striving for, whatever that goal is.
1: And you you mentioned something that uh, one word that is very important. I don't I don't know if a lot of uh, cannabis entrepreneurs think about this, but you mentioned the word teams. So um, I assume you're talking about people that work with you.
2: That's generally the Miriam webster definition of the word or you could also <laughs> use Microsoft. Uh, I'm just kidding. Absolutely. Um, anyone who is trying to, to achieve some degree of su- success and um, is able to do it alone is absolutely a, a remarkable person but they are a minority in in a world where interdisciplinary functions and skill sets are an essential part of creating and building a successful and meaningful business that has some longevity to it.
1: Okay okay and
2: the idea can come from an island of one but to to really be able to figure out what what is necessary to get to the end goal, um, it requires typically people um, with different skill sets and even differing degrees of expertise. You know, some experts and some people who are willing to learn, and that all has to kind of come together in the final recipe. Okay.
1: Okay. So we'll come back to that, I think, in a little bit. Um, Let's talk about Christy Lee Kelly as she started, or maybe even before, working in the cannabis space. Uh, What were you doing prior to cannabis?
2: Prior to cannabis, I was a very, um, you know, I was in the marketing and advertising space. I was based in the Washington, D.C. area, which is uh, a place I know very well because it's a place that multiple generations of my family had planted roots prior to me even being there. And um, it's it's a place I still consider home. And in that capacity, I was fortunate to be a part of um, boutique agencies, startup agencies, um, in-house marketing, uh, marketing for government agencies and then because CC is such an interesting place where people of varying backgrounds and ethnicities and education levels tend to congregate at least at that point in my life um, it was a very thrilling place to, to meet people who were just looking to figure out how to make their ideas come to life.
1: Okay so what made you decide or what what turns you in the direction of cannabis?
2: There are a couple things about you know everyone always has a story and and sometimes an element of that story is being at the right point in history, at the right time in history. And so for me, I think that there's a little bit of that because I had grown up um, in a time where the dot com boom had, resulted in success for people all around me and i'm not a tech person i've never pretended to be a tech person so when this dot com boom happened i remember looking around and thinking huh if only i knew a little bit more about that but it's really not you know i i don't see a place where i can really um, fit in organically uh, probably not the right attitude but it's the one i had at the time but then as i watched people that I knew achieve incredible levels of success, of success, it occurred to me that perhaps I had made a mistake. <laughs> and that perhaps I, perhaps I had been a little bit hasty in um, dismissing my ideas or capacity, but more importantly, in, in appreciating the value of what was before me. And so I made a commitment to myself that if ever there were another opportunity, another growth industry that um, came, upon, uh, came about in my lifetime, that it would be something that I would pursue. Uh, cannabis legalization, uh, starting with medical, ended up being that new growth industry for me um, and for many people who were in similar positions as me, who were looking for something um, that had never been done before and it also came at a time where on a personal front i was really looking to add value in my own life i was looking to find meaning in in the work that i did and and while having philanthropic interests and working from afar in that capacity was was helpful there was a part of me that was really hungering to have more tangible benefit in real time and and to kind of be on the ground and so these two need dates happened at the same time as the the cannabis industry in Colorado was just starting to form. And in 2009, we, my husband and I, made a decision to start to examine, explore, and pursue fairly aggressively the opportunities in the cannabis space, along with some other uh, friends who became our business partners in this journey.
1: From D.C., you went to Colorado because of the opportunity uh, for cannabis?
2: Yeah, and, and a lot of people thought I was totally bananas because the <laughs> opportunity that I had in D.C. was quite, uh, quite, um, quite an opportunity as well. Um, my mentor in, in the space um, in, in advertising and marketing had been very clear about her intentions, and were part. Uh, me and a, a small group of people were part of, um, you know, the the leadership of. Uh, an agency that was very much intended to be um, something that you know that that uh, I would be able to take over um, at some point in the future, and so leaving that behind meant not only leaving the business opportunities that that I had worked really hard for in the uh, first part of my career, but also multiple ge- generations of family and friends. Um, and a very deep system of support. And we did that, sacrificed it, and packed our bags and moved to Colorado so that we could pursue the cannabis industry and see what it was about. And we kind of figured, hey, um, you know, there's never gonna be another time like this, so let's give it a try. And that's what we did.
1: Fantastic. So as you got to Colorado, um, how much did you know about the cannabis business or industry? Had you, had you researched anything with respect to growing, uh, dispensary, uh, products, cannabis products? Uh, was that something that you had done research on before um, entering into the business?
2: We did what research we could, but let's also take a step back in time and remember there were no academic courses about cannabis. There were no podcasts about uh, (laughs) cannabis there were no um, consultants to help with cannabis in fact the industry had largely existed in um, the illicit markets and in the shadows and so the concept of legitimizing was actually quite revolutionary in the sense that there were some people who were very you know happy the way things had been going and then other people like myself who thought hey now here's something that we can really do to make a difference, make an impact on, um, on, on not just the, the cannabis space and and the human impacts of it, but let's also look at the societal impacts and the criminal justice impacts and the historical impacts of being a part of something as as momentous as this. And so, um, there weren't a lot of places to find real information. The information that was available was. I, I would say, you know, not uh, academically rigorous and not always scientifically endorsed. And so, you know, there was a lot of test, learn, and refine that had to occur, both on the operations side and the business side, as well as on the actual up, um, cultivation of the plants.
1: So as you started, were you first into the, from the medical side, or was it um, medical and recreational when you started?
2: Colorado was the so Colorado was the first state in the the first place in the world to tax regulate and, in, and and license cannabis business there were other states such as California that had decriminalized um, marijuana and permitted some form of medical but there wasn't a, a commercial way for someone aspiring to be in the business of cannabis to actually do that until Colorado um, and so, it did start as medical, um, and then Colorado also became the first state only by a time zone, um, <laughs> glitch, because it was so Colorado and Washington in the same year, in the same election, became the first state to legalize adult use cannabis. And so Colorado has often been a state that gets looked at because it's got the most mature regulated tax and licensed market, the most transparent markets. Um, for other states to look at to date, to not only see what went well, but also to learn from the things that um, didn't always go so smoothly in the first one or two rounds.
1: Okay. So here we are. Christy Lee Kelly is in Colorado and cannabis is uh, legalized um, medically and uh, recreational. And you want to get in the business. What did you do? What was step what was the step A or the first step you took?
2: The early days of Colorado, people often compared to the Wild West. There were standalone home grows, uh, a couple of maybe standalone small warehouse grows. There were uh, mom and pop storefronts that were in certain places, but there wasn't a lot of organization or or any sort of a uh, uh, a clear system to yet and so Colorado saw need to rectify that situation and that's where the regulatory licensing and taxation model came about um so what did we do first first we wrote the so you, you had to get a license we found the money we we had we had to write the business plan we had to capitalize the business we started cultivation, there wasn't a licensing process when we started. Okay. We didn't, we did not have the option to have a license till, um, you know, we were in the second, or, you know, at, till about a year into operations. Um, and at that point we, uh, there was a very, um, complicated process of disclosing, um, Financial history, criminal history, business information that you would expect with any sort of a, a licensing process, and all of, uh, and a new set of rules and laws under which we as operators were expected to abide by. And one of the most important things in this new set of laws was that the state of Colorado wanted vertically integrated businesses. And so what I just described to you. In our in our initial days, was a cultivation operation. By virtue of the fact that the laws demanded vertical integration, the first thing we had to do before we applied for licenses was find affiliate storefronts to partner with, so that our vertically integrated application could be submitted.
1: And and when and, you say when you say uh, vertically integrated, what does that mean?
2: Great question. Vertical integration um, refers to the concept that the entire supply chain from uh, cultivation to to sale to customers is, is controlled under one commonly owned business entity. At least that's the way it was defined in Colorado. And so if you grew it, you had to also have a relationship where you could sell it most of the businesses that started up in Colorado during the wild west days did not have vertical integration. And so what resulted was the, the rules and the laws were disclosed, the application process came out and the timing of the application was such that there was less than, there was, there were I think I wanna say the the laws came out in June, the application was due in August. So in under three months, you had to find partners sign partnership agreements, either purchase, acquire, merge, or do whatever to create a formal business relationship with people that you had never intended to work with. And then together apply for an application or apply for applications and licenses with the state.
1: So it was very risky. It sounds like, I mean, cause a, a lot of this, um, a lot of the, the process you didn't know, but in addition to not knowing the process fully, you weren't fully aware of or or, or knew about the partners that you were gonna have to work with.
2: Right, and I think anyone who spent any time going through any sort of a, a courting process, a vetting process with prospective partners knows that a couple months is the bare minimum that you would entertain for getting to know another party and do proper due diligence. There wasn't really adequate time those kinds of conversations to take place because the actual application after you formed the partnership took time to put together too. So under extremely stressful situations, many Colorado operators formed what we called at the time forced marriages.
0: <laughs>
2: and and uh, those forced marriages were how we were able to procure those initial licenses. But as I'm sure you can imagine, once those licenses were obtained and once these parties started to work together, um, it was not uncommon for these forced marriages to end in divorce. And so um, there was a lot of a lot of legal activity because you know people had no choice but to form these partnerships in order to pursue the licenses, but. In you know the actual operan, operan, in the actual operations of um, you know post licensure, it, it became clear that there are different personality types and different businesses mm-hmm. that would be more successful and and you know so people had to do what they needed to do to to align with the proper partners that shared their goals and their right. vision um, and so there was a little bit of reshuffling of the deck for many years thereafter.
1: So in concept, Um, it it probably felt like and sounded like a good idea to have a vertical integration in in the beginning. So whoever was growing was also involved in the sale. However, in reality, it sounds like what you're saying, um, the people that grew didn't always have the same idea. Um, from a standpoint of, of cannabis or from a business standpoint as the people that were involved with selling from the dispensary.
2: That's right. And, and I think that maybe some of the people that even were submitting applications might have had some knowledge of that, But we needed, you know, there are there plenty of times where I heard people tell me, well, we had to get the license. And so, you know, we knew it might not be a forever relationship, but we, we would have to sort that out. After the fact, remember though this was a very different time and a place when these licenses and were when we were in this application process. It, it, I it was very early in Canada's regulation and legalization, and there was a lot of uncertainty. In fact, um, you know the the Obama administration had characterized Colorado as the quote unquote Colorado experiment in um, in that the processes that Colorado employed might help to inform whether legalization of cannabis was something that would work with other states or with the federal discussion about legalization. And so there was a lot of pressure to make sure that the federal priorities were embedded into the way that the Colorado model was constructed. And what that meant was the federal government did not want to see criminals cartels or illegal money mixing in with the regulated licensed market. And in recognition of that, the best way to hold businesses accountable, if you're a a new, um, if you're a government, a state government trying to figure out how to regulate a brand new industry is to hold the licensee accountable to the entire supply chain. Hmm. So there was a very, reasonable thought process that went into the construction of those laws for that reason because colorado did not want to create a licensing scheme that was suddenly going to then invite federal intervention because that also would have been a pretty big mess so there was a lot of um concern and just very restrictive method of of um, initial licensing in Colorado was really born of an understanding of all of the varying and competing concerns um that had weighed into what cannabis legalization could look like so we can look back at it and say oh it was you know really shouldn't have done that um but I, I think that operating in real time and knowing what the competing goals were that it, it, it actually there is method to what was going on it might have not might not have been the right method but it was a method
0: now that's a great place for us to take a quick break but don't go anywhere because when we come back we'll have more with our guest and Dr. Leroy you're listening to the cannabis enlightened podcast powered by March and Ash
1: Amory marie Schubert brings her years of experience to the new podcast, Inside the Crime Files.
0: Oh, this podcast is going to reveal the innovative things that were done to either solve crime or the innovative things that came out of crime. It's really going to be extraordinary.
1: Subscribe at InsideCrimeFiles.com. American
0: democracy is good, but we can make it better. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers includes organizations across the country who are working right now to build a better democracy by opening primaries, implementing safe, secure voting systems, reducing corruption, and increasing transparency. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, to hear updates from the latest movements in the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org welcome back to the cannabis enlightened podcast I'm Chris Canturi and here's more from our host
1: dr. Leroy Brady okay so um, t- to give this some um, type of context and you 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 kind of did when you talked about the Obama administration what year was that where you that you started business was
2: formed in 2009, 2009. applications licensing applications were uh, so the laws passed that defined this particular opera, um operational system in june of 2010 and then the applications for licensing in colorado were due that august of 2010. and so there was a lot of rapid change that was happening in that time period and and fortunately you know i we had talked about how colorado was was sort of the grand experiment and everyone looked to colorado to see what would work and what didn't most other states did really recognize um that pain point of forced vertical integration and so most states that you see today permit vertical integration um, but they also don't stipulate that a specific business structure is necessary in order for people to be successful. And then there are some places where you cannot apply for multiple license types. You can only apply for a cultivation license type or a a sales location license type or a processor license type, for example.
1: Got it. Got it. Understand. So let's move it up to um, close to where we are now with respect to um, Christy Lee Kelly in your journey from uh, 2009 to uh, 2021 today so what's what's happening today or, or maybe you can talk to us about the different companies that you've started and you've been involved with
2: oh goodness gracious um <laughs> <laughs> well in Colorado we um we had a a group of medical and adult use cultivation licenses. We had corresponding processor licenses and then we had um, a mix of medical only stores and um, med AU. And then I also have, um, yeah, I've got interest in other states. So um, Missouri, California. Um, and then most recently I'm in Michigan here starting another round of vertically integrated, uh, businesses in, in the, uh, Detroit area.
1: Now, Christy, um, this is, this is most interesting, interesting because you're like, um, um, 12 years into the business, 12 to 13 years in the business, I guess from 2009, um, just, uh, Mm -hmm. guessing on the numbers, um, but but not only have you not only did you start in Colorado, but as you just indicated, you've been in several other states and even right now you're in Michigan. You're not in Colorado. Now, yeah. <laughs> is that a, what, what is that a result of? Is that a result of of you wanting to branch out or is it a result of of those states or other companies knowing about Christy Lee Kelly and saying, hey, can you come and help us?
2: The cannabis industry has evolved a lot like the alcohol industry post-prohibition. And so what that means is that there are state-specific programs that are coming out. There is probably, um, you know, general understanding that at some point, this patchwork of state programs is going to result in some federal oversight, but that's not where we are today. And so in order to really stay current with what's happening, um, you, you need to spend, you know, it's important to see what's happening in, like if you're looking to have a domestic but current in the US, you, you assess the opportunities that make the most sense for you, your relationships and um, what you wanna do with your life and and then you kind of go with it. I've done a lot of consulting all throughout the country um, in, in many more states than the ones that we just talked about. And it's given me a real opportunity to understand where the, the growth potential is and where perhaps um, I see the most interesting things happening. And I really feel that, um, you know, when you look at a state like Michigan, by population and market size, it's the top three market in the United States. Uh, Colorado and California are right there too. And so, you know, when you look at that footprint and you look at the, the available opportunity, those, those are exciting things for for entrepreneurs to look at. But there's also a lot of other things that go into the mix. If you're a new entrepreneur and you're looking to do something, we talked earlier about teams and the importance of being able to pull people who you trust around, who can complement your own skill set. Well, for me, being in places where I have relationships, I've worked with people before. Um, I have some sort of a um, um, a network is really helpful, and I think that you would find that there are many other people who have concentrated their efforts just on the East Coast or the Upper Northwest or just in California, and all of those are very reasonable things for the people who made those decisions because of the fact that they are making decisions based upon their own networks and access to the resources that they need to make their business successful. It's not about what I'm doing and it's not about what someone down the street is doing, although you should always pay attention to what your your competitors down the street are doing. It's about what makes sense for you, your resources and your life. A lot of people don't wanna relocate across the country over and over again. I happen to
1: think that's kind of a fun adventure. So now you you brought something very interesting into the mix that and, and but th- it is apparent in what's happening to you because you started off, uh, I see a DC, Colorado, and now Michigan. Um, that in this space called cannabis, you very well may have to relocate once, twice, three times. Uh, depending upon the opportunity, is that correct? Or depending upon your passion in the industry?
2: Well, I certainly have, but I know plenty of people who have been very effective um, maintaining a home base in whatever state they live in, you know, whether it's um, Pennsylvania or Colorado or California or wherever they may be, Washington. There are plenty of people who make who make the choice to stay in the place where they are and they have tremendous success there. My, my, my quest for new experiences is really what I think, um, you know, keeps it kind of fun and interesting for me. But that again, is a very personal thing. There are people who have responsibilities, family, kids, that this concept of, of relocating and uprooting doesn't work for everybody. I think it's fun. Um, not other people, not everyone agrees with me. And there are ways to do it both ways. Um, there are very successful multi-state operators who have built and scaled their operations to a point where they can really um, oversee all of those operations from a single location and just travel occasionally to the other uh, places where they they have um, a presence. But um, I think it's just really helpful when you're in a startup business and or you're in an early stage business to, to do as much as you can to transfer all of the knowledge and information that we've, you know, we have obtained over the years um, to, the, to the teams that, that are going to be running the company on a, on a go-forward basis to work with them and hear and see what they're, they're seeing on the ground. And then once the business is stable, move on to the next one. Um, again, that is a very different philosophy. Some people prefer to be hands-off, some people prefer to be hands-on. As I told you in the very beginning, um, one of the reasons that I, I entered the cannabis space was because I wanted to have a way to have more direct impact. And so for me, it's joyful it's to be able to see a business come up before our very eyes.
1: So you're a hands-on person.
2: I think
1: that would be fair. <laughs> so you, you talked about two particular positions. You talk about being a consultant and an entrepreneur. And of the two, it sounds like you prefer to be the entrepreneur rather than the consultant.
2: I don't think I would say that so much. <laughs> I, I, Dr. Leroy, <laughs> don't put words in my mouth.
1: Well, the hands-on person, it's not necessarily the consultant, but the entrepreneur is the person that opens the door in the morning and closes the door in the evening. So I'm just trying to get a feel for where Christie Lee Kelly is, and and maybe that will help others to maybe kind of get in touch with uh, where they want to be in the business.
2: Fair enough. I don't have a direct answer because (laughs) I, I I really do like aspects of being um, in this industry. Consulting gives you a front seat, in depth opportunity to meet a number of different other entrepreneurs in a number of different markets, and to really idea share with their teams who you presume are sort of the best of the best that they have been you know that they have convened and so there's a very different energy that comes on the consulting side um where people are bringing you in to provide your expertise and to provide your perspective and to identify and triangulate the the issues that they're having that are preventing them from hitting whatever their you know milestone is and then developing a plan of action to get in there. You can get your hands dirty when you're doing that too. You can get into the, into the, um, um, of the business that way. And it's, it's delightful. Um,
1: but I, doing I like
2: it from the ground up as an entrepreneur, yeah. what you, what you get is the consistency and the rigor of every day, every month, every year, um, really having that on the ground perspective and, and, um, it's, you, you put more energy over an extended period of time in, in something like that. It's, it's a, it's a, an investment in a, in a longer term relationship. Whereas consulting is like a fling. And both have
1: wonderful <laughs> advantages. I, I love your analogies. Those are, that's absolutely marvelous. Um, there's also something you said earlier that I, I hope that people will be listening to, which will cause them to kind of understand the fact that cannabis is a business like any other business. You talked about developing a business plan. And and um, I would imagine that that plan like any other business, was like a guide to help you to um, look at how you set up the business um, and then set, set goals that you achieve along the way so that you know what you're doing and how you're doing. And if you're going to bring on any investors or if you need investors, the first thing I think they're going to want to know is what is your business plan or do you have a business plan? So can you, can you speak? Spend a few minutes talking about the value of a business plan and and cannabis.
2: It doesn't matter what business you're entering, what industry you're trying to to start in. If you want to be an entrepreneur and you have some sort of an idea that you're trying to bring to reality, it starts with a business plan. That's a fundamental. It's um, it is not only an essential document that provides strategic and operational uh, clarity into what you're trying to do, but it's also the document that gives other parties the ability to say, okay, uh, I get it. Um, here, here, Here is a way that I can contribute, whether that is financial contributions vis-a-vis investors, or it's the other members of your team who perhaps have um, experience in other areas that you may not. Most entrepreneurs don't come with a fully cooked skill set to do this all by themselves. You have to rely on other people, whether those people are attorneys or finance um, or uh, financial or um, accounting professionals, um, whether they're operations people, retail people, cultivation, you know, whatever the whatever the thing is, it comes with. Um, the ability to really take a document that is a blueprint and then make it stronger over time. That being said, I also encourage people not to be beholden to a document for the duration of um, of its life because this industry is growing and evolving. Your markets are evolving and growing and you're gonna learn and technology is going to impact things and All of those different factors are going to affect the way that you approach the business. For example, as the example I gave earlier was our, our first business plan. We were supposed to be a cultivation only business. The legal and regulatory environment demanded that we change our business model and accommodate vertical integration and add storefronts to our business plan. We can't be intractable to the requirements of what the the, the market and our, um, legal environment demand of us, right? Um, but that, that could have also just as easily been an impact because we realized that the fluctuations in a, in a commodity like cannabis were difficult to weather unless we had the surety of retail storefronts from which our supply chain could be pushed out. And so, regardless of what the impetus is for changing a business plan, there are plenty of reasons to do it. And so it is only the starting blueprint for how a company and a business can be successful. It doesn't, um, I, I would, I would encourage periodic reviews of that business plan to ensure that the strategies and tactics that come out of it are consistent with what the reality is in front of you.
1: So, um, I'm looking at where you are right now. You're in Michigan and you're opening up. Is this your own business or are you a consulting person?
2: I'm part of the leadership team of, uh, of this company called Sozo. And we have um, a flagship base of operations in Warren, which is a, you know, a top three city in Michigan by population uh, and um, it's where our cultivation operations are, as well as our processing facilities. And then we have three dispensaries that are currently in operations and then three more that are in construction um, and scheduled for opening in um, first quarter of 2022. So that's kind of where we are today. Uh, it's Great. A, it's an exciting great. Time to
1: so yeah. that you, you, what you did is you just told me, told me that, um, I need to come back and talk to you uh, sometime in the first quarter of 2022, because then you'll be you'll have opened um, several more uh, stores. Um, so maybe as we as we get to the end of our discussion today, um, what would you how would you suggest a person learn about the business? Uh, I, I think you you made a reference to the fact that You know, reading that when you started, there wasn't a lot of research on it, but today, right now, a person that wants to get into the business, what's the best way for them to figure out or find out if cannabis is something that they want to do or the business of cannabis, how would they get themselves into it?
2: uh i i I have a couple of different ideas on how someone could potentially learn more about the industry and decide if it's a good fit the first is very obvious to me but i think a lot of people try to hopscotch it get a job in the industry and the reason i say that is because you would never look to open a business that produces eyeglasses if you didn't know how to produce eyeglasses you would never start a manufacturing company if you didn't know how to manufacture that product. You you typically start companies based upon some sort of a skill set that you have uh, and a, a, an ability to do something and bring an idea to market that's needed, that maybe a little bit different, filling a void perhaps that someone else isn't filling. So why would you do it any differently in cannabis? Get a job in the vertical that you want to learn about and see what it's like from, from the inside out. The second thing I would encourage is, um, you know, there's an abundance of courses and classes um, from um, in higher education where you can get a real foundational knowledge about the area that you're looking for. There are cultivation programs now, out of um, botany programs and horticulture programs, you know, throughout the United States. There are business of cannabis classes in, um, you know, San Diego as, as well as UVA. In fact, I, I ran into a professor at UVA who, whose class I used to lecture, um, when he was, uh, when he started a business of cannabis program out of, a, um, an MBA program in, in Denver and he's carried that program over to, to the East coast now, um, so there's there's an abundance of educational opportunities that you can look at. There are books, there are people, there are consultants, there are mentors. Um, so get out there and figure out who's you know who's who and what's what. A lot of times, the people who have um, some of the greatest knowledge are are buried in in the work, and so you have to go find them um, because. There is a real interest, I think, in cultivating the next generation of cannabis talent and entrepreneurs. And in order for this industry to continue to grow and to thrive, people need to have the, the, the foundational knowledge, the tools, the to skill set, and the mentorship and the access to information in order to take this and continue to grow it and make it bigger and better and more efficient. Um, and then what, what we have today, because that's what a growth industry is about. It's about you know the the ability to take a, um, an, a concept or an industry and then to realize exponential growth and progress in a very short period of time. We can't do that if we don't have an incoming you know a um, um, effort to to expand the incoming entrepreneurs
1: and workforce in the, in the industry. I, I, I tend to agree with you 110% that the, the experts are people that are in the field. And we have had the, the real pleasure and honor of uh, talking with one of the experts in the field uh, today, uh, Christy Lee Kelly. Um, why don't I let you give a shameless plug for your current operation? Because people that listen to the uh, the podcast are going to be all over the world. So, uh, and undoubtedly all over the world means they'll be in Michigan too. So can you tell us again um, the name of, of your company, where you are right now?
2: Sorry. I'm at Sozo. I'm coming to you from our flagship in Warren, Michigan, where we have our cultivation, processing, and uh, retail operations here, and then throughout the state. Michigan is also a medical state with reciprocity, so if you have your medical card, you can come um, and, and use it at uh, provisioning centers that are out here. Uh, I believe California is also a reciprocity state, so if you have your med card and you go to California, I think that works And then, of course, uh, if you're 21 and up and you want to come shopping, come try out Michigan. Uh, It's a great state. It's a beautiful state with gorgeous tourism opportunities and a really rich history with a lot of souls. So um, I'd love to see you. Look us up.
1: And if they're lucky, if they get there on a certain day, they will find Christy Lee Kelly busily working all around um, uh, helping customers and or giving directions. Correct?
2: Well we what we're trying to do is help our our, um, our employees realize the potential of cannabis as a career and not a job. And so we're really spending a lot of time with with our teams to to help with professional development and mentoring to give skills that are not just going to help be, help them be successful in the in the specific uh, role that they have today, but that will help them grow and expand and uh, stay with us, hopefully, in the future.
1: Yeah. Do you have a, a a website for your your company that you could share with the audience?
2: Sure, sozo.life.com.
1: Sozo.life.com. S-O- mm-hmm.
2: Sozo S O Z O. It's it's an ancient it's an ancient biblical term that means to heal and to make new and to renew, which is, I think, really right when we're talking about cannabis.
1: Oh, my goodness. I've been working with you too long. You knew the next question I was going to ask. What does that mean? (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic, Christy. Listen, I want to thank you um, for being so gracious with your time. I know that every time I have called you and asked you to participate in the Cannabis Enlightened uh, project you have been more than willing to share. I appreciate you you giving some of your time um, to share your wisdom um, in the business of, of cannabis with the audience. Thank you very much. And I look forward to talking with you very soon.
2: Thank you. And on the next episode of Cannabis Enlightened, hear Dr. Leroy learn about time
1: zone. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: If you'd like to hear more Cannabis Enlightened with Dr. Leroy, be sure to visit us online at CannabisEnlightened.com and subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Cannabis Enlightened is produced in San Diego, California and presented by March and Ash at MarchInAsh.com. On behalf of Dr. Leroy, I'm Chris Cantori, and thank you for listening.
2: Do you have a business, nonprofit, or campaign that needs to break through the communications clutter? For over 10 years, IVC Media has developed a suite of digital tools, data sets, and creative techniques, all to help corporate, government, and nonprofit organizations like you deliver authentic, innovative, and effective communications. Our teams in San Diego and Tijuana can help you overcome the most challenging communications projects – in any language or location.